Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast uh, coming to you from COVID-19 lockdown in three different parts of the country right now. So uh, today with us, we've got Nick and Gio Gallo of Compliance Line. I can't wait for you to hear their stories. And so in typical fashion of the Anything But Typical podcast, I'm going to ask you guys this question. And you're going to have to use your imagination because this is before we were in lockdown when you could be at, at a restaurant and you could have somebody that was actually close enough sitting to you without a face mask on where you could actually overhear a conversation. And this is the scenario. You guys are with your wives at a restaurant and somebody's in a booth behind you and they're talking about you because they saw you walk in, but they don't know that you can hear what they're saying. So what is it that you would like to have them be saying about you individually? So Gio, let's start with you. This is just about me as a person? Yeah. yeah. I, I'd like them to be saying, man, I really wish that guy couldn't hear so well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, um, I, I think what, what I like to say about myself is that I like to spend my life doing things that matter with excellence. So I guess that's what I would like other people, the impression people would have of me of, hey, the things that, John, that Giovanni works on, he does a good job on. And it seems like he's passionate about things that matter, not just serving himself, but helping people on his team run better, about helping people kind of see the opportunity amid a crisis, of you know, helping other people be better leaders and better servants um, of you know, their teams and their companies. Uh, so, you know, that, that's something that would be a high compliment if, you know, other people felt like I did a good job and I worked, I, I worked on impacting people's lives in a meaningful way. Love it. Yeah, and I would just say, I hope that they would say, wow, he has, I really love his haircut. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I think awesome I would say, haircut. <laughs> uh, I think I would say sort of something, something similar. Um, you know, I, I always want to kind of have like a positive impact in the world. I want to, you know, do something positive. I want people who know me to come away sort of better or stronger, you know, because of it. Um, so I think some, something along that, you know, not to sound too trite, but that, you know, um, I have a true kind of servant's heart and that, you know, um, I don't know, to be honest, I hope that they think I'm funny uh, and smart. <laughs> Those are probably my two honest, if I'm getting honest with you, Gary, uh, and Ben, it's that. Well, well I, no, perfect. And, and you Gio, hit on, oh, oh, go for it, Gary. Gio, do you think he's funny and smart? That's the question. You know him better than the rest of us do. Okay, let's not get off track here. Okay, Gary, I think yeah, his haircut looks script. great. First of all, he's got a great haircut. Uh, I do think he's hilarious, almost <laughs> as funny as I think I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yes, he's extremely intelligent. Imagine, imagine growing up in the same house as this guy, always being in his shadow. But I gotta say, I like the shade. <laughs> well, he's got that he could, you could hide it behind that shadow, man. I mean, that's, that's enviable. <laughs> it is. All right, we digress. Ben, take it. All right, perfect. Um, you guys both hit on a few things that we're going to touch on in the conversation, but first I'll give everybody a quick little background. You are co-CEOs of Compliance Line, and we're going to talk a lot about that dynamic of, of co-CEOs. 
And Compliance Line is the nation's leader in outsourced compliance solutions. And then Geo Year, also the Chief Development Officer. And Nick, you are the Chief Servant, which we've been running this podcast for, what, five minutes? And I think I've heard the word servant almost eight, ten times already. So clearly we, uh, we know what the, the general theme is going to be surrounding. And then I took a quote from, I think, Nick, your LinkedIn, because um, it said it so well to sum up what Compliance Line is all about that I want to just read it. And it says, Compliance Line is passionate about servanthood and changing the world by improving organizations, reducing risk, and reinforcing cultures that give people a voice. So I think that's a great way to kick us off. I appreciate both of you being on here with us. Thanks um, so much for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's go back before we jump into Compliance Line. Talk a little bit about what you two were doing before Compliance Line. Yeah, so Gio and I have always had a passion for business. We've always wanted, we've always had a dream. I mean, how young were we, man? I mean, we were in high school. We always dreamed of um, running a company together and growing something together and kind of making a dent on the world. So we got our first experience probably um, from our dad, you know, refusing to take our fundraiser, our fundraising stuff from school to his office for us and selling it for us. He would make us go door to door and stand, he'd stand at the curb and we'd have to go and do our pitch and stuff like that. So we've been um, kind of in business from one degree to another. You know, Gio had a, uh, an encased meats. How would you call it? I mean, it was a very well- It was a, it was a, it was a meat dispensary. Some people call it a hot dog stand. <laughs> I mean, you, you had a hot dog stand in um, <laughs> high school. I was selling blow pops on the bus in junior high. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've always been kind of, kind of enterprising. And, you know, we're first generation Americans. Our dad came over from Cuba after Castro took over and took our grandfather, who was a massive entrepreneur down there, took all their stuff that he built, you know, from nothing. Kind of that rags to riches to rags story as they landed in our country with nothing. Um, and so we come from these kind of humble beginnings and this, these entrepreneurial roots. And it was just always instilled in us that this is a country that, you know, while it's not perfect, obviously, um, it's a place where there's a thing called upward mobility and you can cut your own piece of the pie and you can actually bake the pie if you want to make it a little bit bigger. So um, we grew up in our parents' business. You know, we were first scrubbing toilets. Our family motto is see what you can do to help. So, you know, we were scrubbing toilets and taking out the trash and doing mailers and stuffing envelopes. And then as we got a little bit older, we were, um, you know, they put us on the phones to set appointments for our sales reps. And uh, we just kind of worked our way up, you know, we, we got involved anywhere we could. And then in high school this one year, we, uh, we were learning about strategy and, you know, all this stuff. And we thought we were real big shots. And our parents were always, you know, see what you can do to help. What are you learning in school that can help grow the business, that can help make this thing better? And we spent a summer and we, you know, we, we were able to do some things that we, you know, we thought we were like business consultants, you know, <laughs> we thought we were like uh, McKenzie guys or something. And uh, that was really the, the genesis of it, that we were like, man, it would be so cool to one day run a company together. So we set out on this, on this journey um, through a bunch of different experiences in financial services, uh, through, through private equity to get to a point where we were looking for a business that we could take over, you know, a business that was not a startup, but something that was, you know, maybe at this inflection point or kind of at a, a glass ceiling that it couldn't break through, you know, a profitable business that we saw some opportunity to help take to the next level. And we spent about two years doing that. And uh, so directly before Compliance Line, that's, that's what, what we were doing, calling up business owners, 
you know, back to our stuffing envelopes days, sending out mailers and trying to find the right business for us to get involved with and, uh, you know, join and help grow. Yeah, and I would just add a little bit of color to that. You know, Nick talked about a lot of the, you know, the things that we were doing and uh, some of the things that influenced uh, kind of the path we took on our career. Um, I would just add some color that I think that Nick and I have always, uh, for a number of reasons, been kind of students of company culture. I think before we even knew it was a thing. Yeah. Uh, part of it's because when we were young, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot and um, our parents were pursuing opportunities that led to a lot of changes in our life. We moved around a lot as mm -hmm. they were looking for a new job and stuff like that. So the experiences that my parents had at work when we were really young impacted our life that like made us aware of it. They had some mentors and they had some people who gave them some bad business deals and were dishonest with them. So, you know, we kind of saw those impacts. And then when we were in high school, they started their own business and we saw them run that business with their heart for servanthood and seeing, you know, like they, they were just living out a balanced scorecard before it was, you know, written about in Forbes of we got to take care of our shareholders. Sure. But we have to take care of our employees and we have to take care of our customers and we have to take care of the community that we're a part of. So we saw those things um, through our parents that made us realize that, you know, the way that people treat people at work, the type of boss you are or the type of partner or the type of vendor you are makes a big difference in people's lives. Um, and that has always been something that we've cared about and we've thought, hey, you know what, let's learn how some big companies do it. Nick and I have been part of, you know, boardroom decisions and advisory services and investments for a bunch of big companies doing a bunch of different things. And we've seen that experience and, you know, we try to learn from the people that were around. Um, and we've always, we, we always, you know, said to each other that if and when we got in that leadership seat, you know, that kind of base of the org chart, um, that we, we, we would want to do it the right way. We've always been trying to learn, okay, well, what does that mean? What do I want to learn from this person to do or not to do? Um, and it's something that we're able to live out through the particular business that we're in, not just through to, to the people that we serve directly in our four, your, the four walls of our office, but also the companies that we're serving, um, compliance and ethics leaders, also kind of intrinsically care about the people and, and the impact that they're making. Right. And we're, we're able to help them make the world a better workplace um, through just the, the industry that we're in. So I've got a question for you guys, and then Ben, you can jump in on this one, but um, the fact that your folks started a business from ground up and, and you've got, you got to see firsthand the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult, uh, uh, you know, being taken advantage of by people we trust and all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. Mm-hmm what made you guys decide to go the route of hey let's go and buy a company versus start one from ground zero yeah we saw we saw how brutally hard it is to start a business <laughs> you know what I'm saying like it's i don't know it's kind of hard to get a train moving right you start you got to push real hard to get that thing moving and um you know honestly you know i, I they're perhaps different skill sets at some level um, and they're different like interest points as well. I think some people like kind of planting seeds. Um, some people like kind of tending, you know, tending the crops and some people might like kind of picking those, those apples off, off of the orchard. I think I'm probably like more toward the middle or the latter of that example. And, um, you know, to be able to come into a business and optimize, and, you know, a train that's already on the tracks to kind of shovel 
pull into that engine to make it go faster. Just for my personality is more attractive than saying like, hey, how do I assemble a train and get this thing on a tracks and start pushing to try to get some of that, that, that inertia. So to take something and make it better um, was I think a little bit more attractive for, for us. Yeah, I, um, I agree with all of that. Um, and we just add that I think Nick and I are generally pretty entrepreneurial, uh, opportunistic guys. And, you know, I think part of how I looked at that was if I had an awesome idea for a startup, uh, I do. It's like Uber, but for socks. So don't steal my idea. We're working on that. But it's like <laughs> yeah, the Uber slash, okay. yeah, slash Pixar. It's like Uber and Pixar. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like if I had that idea of like, hey, no one's done this thing ever before and I'm going to do it and it's going to change the world, then, you know, I'd run after that. But I think that Nick and I saw that there's a ton of opportunity in the world, in our economy, in our culture at this point in time, where there are a bunch of businesses that are not, you know, they could be better if they had the right, you know, I mean, what, what's the bottleneck that you're removing, right? Is it innovation or technology or leadership or capital or culture or whatever it is? Right. We saw, hey, there are a bunch of companies that, you know, someone's probably going to transition, they want to retire or whatever that is. So we just kind of saw an opportunity there. Um, I think our passion was to lead a business and to serve employees and, and customers well. Um, so, you know, I think that Nick's, Nick's comments about kind of tendency and personality, um, you know, I, I think they're very, very salient. Um, and yeah, I think ultimately we're just looking for a place to serve. And this is the one that, that we found. It makes a lot of sense. So as you were going through that, that process, like you said, two years of, of getting out there and trying to find the right fit. What about a uh, compliance line made it the right fit for you two? So I think we, we were looking for a bunch of different things on our list of criteria. So we were looking for, you know, we always kind of talked about it. Like we were looking for a decent boat in a fast moving river that we could get in and row hard. So I think compliance line hit that. It's in a great industry. It is something that resonates with us. Um, you know, selling these kinds of solutions um, really resonate with us. The business model itself is very attractive. It's a recurring revenue business. It's not like a, a roofing company where you have to go and get, you have to replace all the revenue from last year with, you know, new, new roofs uh, this year. So um, that allows for a level of stability that, um, you know, allows us to kind of get our sea legs, you know, um, it, it allows for some stability for us to go slow to go fast, which is, I think, I think it's the right, the right way to do things. Um, it gave us also that stability to kind of have that kind of infinite gain, like uh, Simon Sinek says, or that long-term view um, approach to running a business. Um, and then the nature of the business, just from an economics perspective, it's, it's a relatively small uh, budget item um, in an organization's budget that is in many cases like necessary. And as a result of that is kind of acyclical. So I think in our private equity days and, you know, other days before that, we saw a lot of different situations where, you know, companies with like a high beta would cycle down really hard. And for our first, you know, time running a business, we wanted to kind of remove as many of like exogenous variables from the equation that allowed us to really just focus on the business and focus on doing those right things for the business, not, you know, with as few sort of market factors that we couldn't control, ultimately influencing our destiny and, you know, outcome you know what i mean right yeah yeah, yeah. i think uh, there, there was also a feel to it at compliance line where the founders who had run the business for the past 20 years they had put their heart into it and they cared about their people 
not just in the way that everyone says they do when you ask specifically, because of course they're going to say that they care about people because you're not supposed to say the opposite. Uh, but uh, they had lived it out in you know the way they had retained employees and the way they had built long-term customer relationships and um, they were doing some of those things that uh, you know can kind of be hidden or obscured on a financial statement, but you really kind of feel them when you you know get a sense for their reputation or talk to the people who interact with them. Um, and I think that you know the industry and the business model and all of that hit a lot of our criteria. But I think one of the most distinctive things. That, that we saw was the opportunity at Compliance Line to build on a great story that put people at its core. Um, and you know, it was, there, there are certainly things that we're doing to try to elevate and move that forward, but also this was not a kind of culture turnaround scenario. Uh, the owners had really invested a lot of good okay. ethos and actual caring into their customer relationships and their employees. And we Which love that. a super important point. Um, and I think we learned pretty quickly af after we almost got burned on a couple of deals where we get like, 90% toward close and find like rampant fraud or you, you meet a guy and like, you know, there's grease on your hand afterwards, figuratively, obviously, right? Like a real oily snake salesman type type of a guy. Um, our criteria for a deal, aside from those sort of hard ones that I just listed, um, we're also started to include some of these softer things. Like what's the heart of the seller? What do they care about? You know, and I think we developed this sort of three tiered pyramid approach to determine whether a deal is going to be a good deal. And I think we've carried that forward to our current discussions now as, as we're looking for other companies to partner with and stuff. You know, when you've looked for a house or you've looked for an apartment, you can see 20 different spots and you'll, you'll go to one. You'll be like, yeah, I can kind of make this one work. Yeah. You know, I, okay. I can kind of see that. And then you walk, you walk into another one and you're just like, this is it. You just know. And so we kind of refer to that as the key fitting in the lock. The key should fit in the lock. I shouldn't have to jam this key into the lock. The easier that that key fits in the lock, more likelihood it's going to, you know, more likely it is to actually open that lock. So we've developed this sort of three-tiered approach to like looking and looking at these things. The first one is like, do we look at the world the same way? You know, do you view people as labor units and do you view sort of money as just the thing? Or do you view people as, you know, your greatest asset and money as a byproduct of your system? Those are kind of two ends of a spectrum, right? On that bottom tier of like the lens through which we see the world. And the next one is like this synergy, this synergy layer. Like, is it a company that we could come in with our, with our unique skill set and fill some gaps in that organization, whether it's to Geo's point from a leadership standpoint or capital or, you know, strategy, whatever. And then finally, if we can get through those two layers, then, then we can have that kind of dollars and cents conversation. But I think all three of those need to have green for a good deal to be done. And we were like super blessed with compliance line that they were freaking bright green on all three. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm to come up with a night you know we found great guys definitely could fill some gaps and we were able to come up with a structure that kind of worked for everybody yeah so let's stay on on that topic of uh, of getting to compliance line right finding it because i think you're hitting on a lot of great points and it's also a topic that we haven't talked about on this podcast yet so um talk to me more of you you were getting ready to uh to do this search and find it what did it look like from, from a financing standpoint and, and a, a monetary standpoint? And kind of what was your thought process and conversations behind that? Um, so, you know, we just, we always knew that, look, like we're not quick flip guys. So if you're a quick flip guy, you can just ride a wave, right? So that means what you, what you pay on the front end becomes less important because I just got to kind of catch it on the way up and boom, I can pay, you know, 
12x on the way up, as long as I sell it for 15x or 20x, on, you know, and maybe I'll get a little growth along the way. That's a play that we've seen play out both sort of directly and indirectly over our careers. And I'm sure you guys have seen yourselves over your careers as well. Um, that is a, that again is sort of like, that's, that's catching a shooting star. That's, that's kind of riding a wave. Our, our approach to value creation is more around like adding actual value and changing changing uh you know the bones of a business so to speak you know i guess if you want to use like a housing analogy one is maybe more along hey i'm just going to kind of make some cosmetic changes to 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 the house i'm going to put down some new flooring i'm going to paint some walls uh change out the bathroom and we're going to just flip this thing the other approach is to say you know what i love this plot of land i'm going to kind of raise this i'm going to put a new foundation down and i'm going to live in this house for the next you know 30 years your approach to the changes you make to that house are going to be very different under each of those things. So yeah. I'm saying that to say this to your, your question, Ben, um, that made it more important for us to be conservative on the front end and, you know, buy it right. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I never want, you know, you look, you can't argue, you can't argue your wife from not being mad at you. You can't argue a company away from a guy. You're not going to steal a company away from somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just do a nice deal. That's fair. That's fairly priced that shares an upside. And again, like just let's be straight with, with guys, you're not going to make a ton of alpha by like stealing a company from a guy. You're going to end up paying for that down the road, in my opinion. So let's just pay a good price, a fair price for a good company and let's grow it. And, you know, kind of, give guys the opportunity if they want to get that second bite of the apple, if they're kind of in it for, for the long term. So, you know, the other piece of your puzzle comes down to like financing sources, right? So we have an investor group behind us who we're lucky to have guys who are like-minded, who understand that long-term view is the name of the game. You know, they're not like pounding on the door saying like, okay, when are you going to sell this thing? Cause we've set out from the start to say the value is going to come in year eight, the value is going to come in year 10 when we get that real scale up type of scenario because we're gonna go slow to go fast. Um, so that has given us a lot of freedom to kind of run our plays the way we want. And secondarily, what it, what it then comes down to is again, finding equity and finding debt to kind of build in a capital structure that's gonna allow the business to do what it needs to do to breathe and not be choking with like a bunch of covenants right out of the gate. But we finance it in a conservative way and you know, back to what I've, what I've been saying, we financed it, we were able to finance it in a conservative way to give us that breathing room to go slow to go fast and take care of the things that are most important. He's not going to the bathroom, he's getting coffee, I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah, I know, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, sorry, there's just some water. <laughs> you know, if I may interject, one of the things that I really like about that perspective, and I haven't heard the specifics before, but it doesn't surprise me. And that is uh, having been in private equity where we were very kind of atypical as well, where we had a longer term view. We, we, and we had a very specific investment criteria of investing in people that we liked, that we yeah. felt like they had the right team in place. They, they uh, may need some of our, not just our, money but also some of our rolodex and our ability to help or ability to just stay out of the way and let them do what they needed to do yeah uh, that's not typical in right. equity you know you have a yeah. lot of times not always but a lot of times you have people that have never run a business but they're very smart they've got great credentials and they know what dials to move 
but I've seen it way too many times where they flip it and using your house analogy, you know, the, the, the foundation crumbles. You know? Yeah, exactly. Right. Great, but the foundation was on sand or there was, you know, there was something wrong underneath there. And what I like about your go slow to go fast approach, it's a quality play. I hear win, win, win with yep. people that you tried to buy, that you bought it from, as well as your people. And I also hear that about the kind of clients that you're trying to serve. Let's walk back a little bit more to the specifics of if you're going to just do your uh, going back to being on the, you're selling blow pops and that's a super uh, simple analogy. But if you're going to use uh, your 30 second commercial on what compliance line is, I would love to hear that. So the, the listeners hear that. Yeah. So I would say, you know how as an organization grows, it gets harder to keep your finger on the pulse of what people are going through. And it gets harder to have insights as to whether or not the purpose is truly getting pursued or that risks are being, you know, that aren't springing up. Well, we provide tools to leaders who care that help them reinforce their culture, give their people a voice and enforce their bottom line. And those tools range from, you know, Kind of comprehensive empathy-based incident intake, right? Hotlines and case management and stuff like that. Sort of post-Weinstein modern compliance training that people actually take. Like we have completion rates that are in the 90s versus the industry average, which is in like the high 60s if they're rounding up, okay? And then sort of specialized background check services that again can help manage those risks on an ongoing basis. And we have like a bouquet of other things that, that go along with that, like, you know, uh, you know, web forms and disclosure things. And we do investigations as well in case a company, you know, they want to outsource that to a third party to get that, get that wall there or do exit in interviews and things like that. But those main pillars are, are those three things I talked about, kind of that incident intake, hotline piece, that training piece. And then finally that, that background check and screening piece to make sure that there's no bad apples in the basket on a month to month basis. What we're trying to do with all of this guys is that there, there's this dichotomy where I know we're past the 30 second commercial Gary show where uh, okay. we're, we're going past here. <laughs> um, but like, there's a distinction, you know, you, you were talking Gary about that, you know, you flip the house and it crumbles after you sell it. Well, there's a distinction there between, well, did you know that it was on a Rocky foundation and you were just trying to check the box and get it off your hands so that you have some plausible deniability or were you actually trying to do a great job with it? And what we are intent on is if an owner or a leader, uh, like executive or just a compliance leader, if they actually care, not just about checking the box and kind of getting this thing off their plate or shielding themselves from some risk, but they want to do a great job for their people because they understand that these things that we're talking about can be strategic levers for the whole business, then we want to provide them that insight into what's going on and then that clarity on what to do about it. And we want to do that with the best mix of technology and automation and personalized, thoughtful, empathetic human minds and service on top of it. Um, and that's a distinction that uh, I, I think is going to become more prevalent across our yeah. whole, whole economy where a lot of the kind of tech-based innovation is key. It's essential, but it, it's becoming more table stakes. And the thing that differentiates a great partner, a great vendor, an awesome hire is not just their technical proficiency, but their ability to wrap that in effective communication, empathetic interactions, 
and executing things in a way that makes people's lives better. And that's what we're trying to do. Everyone know, knows what a pivot table is now. Everybody know, knows what a spreadsheet is now. Now it's about, well, what's going on on that spreadsheet and what can I do with it? Pulling that off. And that takes a human to do it and taking a human to actually do those things. So that's kind of what he's talking about. That sort of next gen of this whole game that we're in that, you know, this is like, the, you know, we're in the, like the latter stages of this tech revolution and that human piece the companies that are able to use that tech piece coupled with that human piece and create this sort of hybrid of impact are going to be the ones that truly separate over this next decade, I think. What are some of the commonalities in the kind of company that you serve from size-wise, industry-wise, and mindset-wise, et cetera, but I'd like to get a better picture of the kind of ideal client in some of yeah. the... So, you know, our whole sort of mandate is to like provide actionable information to leaders who care, right? To do those things I was talking about, reinforce their culture and give their people a voice and manage their bottom line. So there are people who care at all kinds of organizations. There are people who care who have massive HR, you know, fully formed HR, uh, you know, organizations and compliance functions that have teams and, you know, that they know what they're doing, so to speak, right? 100, 200,000 type people organization, right? Those people care. There's also somebody who's just starting and maybe they only have, it's a 20 doctor office or it's a hundred people in a company and they're like, you know what? I want to get this stuff in place because I truly care about my people and I don't want to get caught on my heel in year five after I've doubled a few times and be, you know, trying to compensate for having egg on my face. So I think, you know, you said, talk to me about the similarities and I'm glad you said mindset because that, that really is the similarity. So we're set up to help, you know, somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, so to speak but who has that heart to say, hey, these are some ways to kind of work with your constrained assets or your, or your budget constraints to get you the most bang for your buck for what you need, right? And then we also got the guy who, uh, you know, they have a massive budget and they, they know what they need. Well, we can go ahead and obviously collaborate with them and tell them what we're seeing over here and with this group and so forth to get that the best solution set that we can. Um, but the common thread that runs through all of them are that they actually care. I mean, look, it's kind of bizarre for us to be talking about this and you guys live it out. Uh, Gary, I know you, you live this out as I've got, gotten to know you over the last few years, but like as our imper like the impersonable nature of all of our interactions has skyrocketed, right? You know, we're on texting and blah, blah, blah. There's sort of less and less of that sort of heart feeling. It's gotten more and more, you know, uh, impersonal. You call your cable company, you sit on the phone for 30 minutes and it's like, Pain, you know, it's such a pain. It's like, I pay my bill every time. You guys can't pick up my call, right? Um, what that has created is an environment where some of these old school values are like a breath of fresh air, ironically. And it creates a huge opportunity if you actually care and you actually put the client at the top of your org chart. What a concept. You actually treat the client as the boss. Hey, the guys who keep our lights on are not Nick and Geo. It is the group that uh, are paying us every day. And you have your heart to try to give them the right type of service and the right type of situation, you know, the right type of uh, solution, man, I mean, it just plays so well because you can't fake it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like that authenticity yeah. in that service delivery sends such a strong message for folks and it ends up creating a glue that's hard to duplicate by organizations that are so dollar myopic and focusing on dollars as the primary variable at, instead of the dependent variable, which is how we view it. We view it as the byproduct of the system, not the system itself. You know what I mean? So what I'm hearing is mindset's key. You can work with somebody that's really small, but I'm also hearing that you can work with 
companies that are really big. Um, yeah, like a Fortune 100 company, great. We can do that and we'll give you be the better service than you need, right? Or the better, better, the type of service that you would expect to really elevate and be that strategic lever that we think you should be within your organization. You're small, you're a thousand people, you're 500 people, great. We can help you get your things spun up. Our sweet spot really though is kind of right in the middle, a company that maybe has 5,000 to 50,000 employees, you know, that, you know, over a billion dollars in revenue because they're probably getting chewed up and spit out by the big industry competitor who's really going after that Fortune 50, you know, tier. We can give them the service they need to really expand their, their impact across the globe with these different sort of regulatory jurisdictions and stuff like that. So, but again, if it's somebody who's trying to check the box and somebody who's just putting, well, what's the bottom line? What's the price? It's like, well, I don't know. When you go to a tailor, what kind of suit do you want? I mean, how much money do you want to spend on, on your suit, right? Um, it's that kind of a thing because we're not jamming square pegs and round holes. We're that we're much more like that custom tailor that's going to give you the type of suit that you can afford and that and that you need for whatever you're going to use that suit for. You know what I mean? Cool. Yeah. Uh, so one of the pieces as we get more and more into compliance line now, which is perfect. Uh, one of the big pieces I'm interested in is uh, YouTube being co-CEOs, right? So it's it's one thing to have family members of any capacity running a business together. It's a whole nother to also be sharing the same leadership title. So talk us through that dynamic of, of what is that like between you two and why go that route versus like one of you being a CEO and the other being a COO or something like that. So we yeah, so I think there's it landed on the side. So we were saying we got to split it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I mean I think that there's there there are a few different kind of uh, I don't know worldview um, aspects of this that matter here. So uh, one of those is what usually drives that decision. It's like a split in skill or a split split in kind of a need for authority. Um, mm -hmm. Nick and I. I'm, you know, to start with the need for authority, Nick and I came here to serve, not to be served. So we, as co-CEOs, have held a bunch of kind of subtitles along the way where I was the IT director for a while and Nick was the head of sanction check. And, you know, we've been kind of jumping around wherever it was needed. Um, and, you know, we're, we're literally here to serve. Nick is the chief servant. I'm kind of the, the second best servant. Um, and... <laughs> Um, but like really we're just like we're here to do whatever the business needs and that is not subsumed to my skill set or my desire to have a title it's subsumed to what do our clients and our people need so that we can move this forward um, and uh, it's been flexible along the way and you know the, the, the other piece that I brought up is that skill set and uh, Nick and I have somewhat similar backgrounds um, this was not you know the type of thing where uh, you know uh, Nick can't talk to anybody and I can't, I, I can't even look at a spreadsheet or I, you know, fall down and see right. up. Um, so, you know, we, we both kind of have jumped into what we need to do. Um, and ultimately part of this is our view that the leadership of an organization is the base of the root of the tree, not the peak of the pyramid that everyone is supporting. So we showed up and we said, all right, well, what does the business need? okay, how, you know, how can we resource that and what gaps do we need to fill? And Nick and I have jumped into those gaps and those roles, those functional roles have changed, you know, every three to nine months in different ways. So we decided to do it because uh, we view each other as equals. We're both in this together. 
We don't like not one person doesn't need um, some type of recognition or is going to refuse to do these types of jobs because, hey, listen, I'm just not a numbers guy. So someone else has to do that. So when it's open like that, we can be flexible. And so then what is the bottleneck? The bottleneck becomes, well, what can we figure out together? What can we accomplish together? What can we build that is going to serve this organization well? And Nick and I actually believe that um, our lack of kind of really big functional differentiators um, and our close relationship as brothers are actually a very unique asset in our partnership. And part of what we've built through our co-CEO approach is that it's the approach, it's the team, it's the idea that wins, not just the one person who has, has the gavel and can say, hey, you know what, I'm throwing, throwing my card down here, I'm having it my way. So we've built a, an idea meritocracy where position and title and positional authority is not the thing that wins the day, but the best idea and the thing that people can get on board with and the thing that's going to help us kind of galvanize and come together more, even if it's a, all right, well, we can't make an eight-year investment. We're going to make a three-month investment, and then we're going to learn more about this. Um, and those things have freed us up to be more nimble, to be more innovative as a company, and I think to build that servant leadership that is core to us um, and that was kind of neither of us demanding the, uh, you know, the most important seat in the business. Um, it's allowed us to push that into the culture where, you know, it's not about your title. It's about how you can serve the client. Yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, and it sounds fantastic, right? You guys have figured it out, right? Well, your dynamic anyway. I figured um, out how to talk is, about it at least. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have been some of the hurdles or struggles that you two have faced with that dynamic of co-CEOs and how have you overcome them? Hey, Nick, don't talk about that one thing. Let's talk about the easy yeah, one. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm good. <laughs> you know, I would say that, you know, we're blessed. We're blessed to have each other. I think we both recognize that um, we're low. I think we're, in general, low ego guys. And I think we recognize the complementary nature of our personalities. So I really value what he bring, brings to the table. I really value his drive and his, you know, his, his unique qualities. And I think... I brought up the low ego point because like if you have a low ego, then you can talk about like what you're not good at and then you can see yeah. what somebody else is good at and not be threatened by it. You know what I'm saying? And like, yeah, it allows you to be self-aware. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you know, it's always been kind of me and Gio against the world. We've been best friends since we were young guys. Like we talk about how, you know, we got all of our fighting out of our systems by the time we were six, you know what I'm saying? We weren't allowed to fight. So <laughs> Moving around and going to all those different schools, I mean, it really galvanized us at, you know, from a relationship standpoint. And we were just, you know, like I said, we're, we're blessed. We're blessed to have personality types that are truly complementary. And those sort of complementary things being rooted in the same worldview or rooted in the same, you know, value set and rooted in the same heart for people and uh, view on how value is created and things like that allow us to attack problems in a, a unique way. I think, and because we're not getting caught up in all that ego noise that ends up pre preventing a true idea merit meritocracy from moving forward. But to your question, Ben, like, how do we deal with it? We deal with it with communication. We deal with it with, you know, humility, uh, willingness to say, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know, how do you deal with it in any close relationship you have where you're open yeah. to being wrong? You know what I'm saying? It's like trying to bring those things out. And I think, you know, like, Lord willing, this we're, we're setting a good example for our team on how an idea of meritocracy is supposed to work and how sort of self-awareness is supposed to work and how sort of a low ego is supposed to work to say, I'm sorry, or say, I love you or say, 
this isn't working and this is my fault and take, take responsibility and not just get chewed up and spit out by the machine that you're a part of, you know what I mean? So I, I hope that kind of answered it. I mean, it's really, it's really about communication and really about, you know, again, trying to serve each other. Like if I can, like, I want to be a good partner to Gio. I don't want Gio to look at this and be like, why did I partner with, with my brother? And he's such a pain. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to, I want to yeah. be a compliment to him. I don't want to create chaos for him. I love him a lot. And I want to just be that great partner for him. Um, and that, I think that mutual trust ends up building a, a battlement around us for us to have that sort of raw, authentic, you know, vulnerable conversation when something pops up that is necessary for like true healing to take place. So, yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think that one thing that's helped us manage conflicts. Oh, sorry. What's up? No, no I'm just saying you just disagree with me now. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, so I think you should, uh, you know, that's how Nick feels, and that's great, but uh, I'm going to talk now, okay? <laughs> this is my time on the floor now. <laughs> Nick, you're doing it. No. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think one thing that helps us handle those conflicts is kind of getting back to core principles, right? So, like, there are conflicts that come up where we get out of a meeting, and, and you know, I thought that Nick was really pushing against the idea that I thought we had, and then I'm like, well, why were you arguing with me? And then he's like, no, I wasn't. I was trying to help or, you know, like we have these miscues and we have these misfires and, of course. you know, I tried the no look pass and, you know, he's not where I thought he was. Uh, and we're both running after the ball before it goes out of bounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think getting back to core principles of like, okay, well, you know what I'm not questioning is whether you're loyal to me. You know what I'm not questioning is your integrity. You know what I'm not questioning is um, whether you're trying to backstab me and right. do some power play. So like all of that stuff's off the table. So something was wrong. Like I threw the ball and you weren't there. So did I throw it at the wrong place or should you have been there or is it both? Or, you know, did coronavirus happen in the middle of it or what? <laughs> so I think getting back to those core principles and realizing that there's a foundation here and we can do this with all of our teams, right? This doesn't just happen, have to happen with, you know, your brother, best friend, co-CEO. This can happen with a new hire who you've been, been around for, you know, 10 days. Like, okay, you know what? I haven't passed judgment on these things. I don't think that you're stealing from the company. We're just talking about this specific issue. Um, and you can kind of focus on that and narrow the conflict down to something manageable. So that's helped us at times. Um, and, uh, you know, um, did, uh, were you asking more specifically, Ben, about like what conflicts we do have, like as co-CEOs, kind of what becomes hard? Um, not necessarily. I just, I wasn't sure if, if there were any specifics that had come up or if it was more generalities like what you had just addressed of, yeah, we're going to have miscues and this is how we figure it out. So that I, yeah. I left it open purposely. Yeah. So I, I think um, to put some specifics around it, you know, there, there, there have been times where the, this kind of like console type of setup where like we're both going to make decisions together has broken down, right? There are times where Nick wants to run faster at something. So this is a difference in our personalities. I'm more inclined to kind of get a high confidence level at something and kind of run hard after it. And Nick's more of a kind of fast starter. Let's kind of get going and we'll tweak it as we go. So there are times where we've miscued on that. And then we figured out, okay, well, do we, you know, there are a couple different decision criteria you can have. You can say both people need to agree on it for us to do anything. That becomes a hard thing, especially in a nimble business. You can say, uh, okay, well, whoever, uh, hits this criteria, they have the most senior thing, or they were born earlier, I'm likely to disagree with that criteria. But here's some decision criteria that's going to let us decide this. Um, and, you know, sometimes we try to formalize it and say, okay, well, like, you're most involved with this team right now. So like, uh, I'll kind of give input, but I'm not going to stop anything that you want to do. And sometimes if something's massive, 
um, you know, like a transformative merger or something, then we would probably be more on the, we need to both agree on it. Um, so we had handled decision-making that way. Um, but, you know, I, I think knowing that those things come up can help you solve them. Um, and then we've had to, at times, deal with the kind of two-headed monster risk of, Geo was running this thing six months ago, but now Nick is leading this team. So this initiative is now kind of coming back up for reconsideration. These people are used to talking to Geo about it, but who should they talk to and stuff like that. So over time, we've learned to communicate more directly with our team around, okay, all of these types of things need to go to this person or, okay, we're, you know, I'm, I, I'm not doing this for me because I want everyone to know I'm the boss and you better get ready, but everyone should know that like, I'm managing all of these things around this initiative now. So like, funnel those things to me because I'm going to be able to help you most directly with those. Um, okay. So again, that becomes communication, kind of seeing what those are. But those are two things, kind of making decisions quickly or kind of getting on the same page and helping our team understand kind of who they should go to to get help um, are two things that we've learned to manage as co-CEOs better. So I want to jump in and um, I just think that your story is so unique and there are parts of your story that I'm learning for the first time, which I just find really fascinating because uh, I've seen co-CEOs become two-headed monsters that really don't work very well. Uh, and typically good friends, but not brothers. Um, and yet you guys have uh, kind of overcome a lot of stuff. And, and one of the things that keeps resonating in my mind and listening to your stories is a good friend of mine said, out of our greatest pain, often becomes our greatest ministry and support for somebody else, all right? And so in the course of this conversation, I've heard a lot about serving, 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 which I know and I believe is very much core to your heartbeat. Um, the fact that it was Nick and Gio against the world, I heard that too. You know, I heard idea meritocracy, which I think is a beautiful like term. I'm going to use that a lot. I really like that. But talk to me about, you know, given the struggles that you've seen your parents go through with starting companies, getting taken advantage of along the way, moving from uh, city to city, all those kind of things. Talk to me about what do you think, and I, I want to hear from each one of you individually, like what do you think would be one or two or a, a few contributing factors that were really painful that have um, propelled you into being more sensitive and making culture and treating people um, well. Uh, what what do you yeah. think would be some of those contributing factors? So I'll say for me, um, you know, I got good at being the new kid, but it was never like easy. You know what I'm saying? Like going, yeah. to, I went to ten different schools before I got to high school. So that's like a lot of schools. That's a lot of times of being like, hey. Hey, everybody, and everyone's like, who is this person, right? So I think I remember what that feeling is a lot. And so that has made it more important for me to be like a big tent guy now. So I want to welcome people in quickly. I want to bring people into this thing. And I want them to feel that safety that maybe I didn't have when I felt like new in a new part of a new, you know, organization or something like that. You know what I'm saying? A new school. Yeah, that's so, really know, good. That's probably rooted in something like that. And I think also, you know, um, the, you know, all this culture stuff we're talking about is rooted in our family's culture. Like, you know, we always felt different. We always felt like a peculiar people moving around. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. we did things different. Our dad was from a different country. 
we, we stood out, you know what I'm saying? Like we had different values, we, you know, those ended up being a, a cocoon around us <clears throat> or something, right? Those, uh, it not only galvanized us and brought us closer together, but it also created a sort of a, a shell of safety around us. And I think we knew, we, we were big culture guys before we knew what culture was in a business perspective, right? And I think what we found out is that that shell of, uh, that shell of protection is really a shell that allows for a, like safety. And we're talking about inclusivity. We're talking about like feeling at home somewhere. So that's what our heart is, right? Like we were lucky and fortunate to have, you know, it's like our spaceship was just going from planet to planet. You know what I'm saying? Like that spaceship was, had the right atmosphere in it and all that other stuff, right? Like that's, that's, that's what our family served as. And so yeah. we, we want to create that for our people. And again, that doesn't mean that you don't have like standards. Like we had to get A's, okay? Like we were not allowed to fight. Okay? It wasn't like butterflies and rainbows in there, but that perimeter and that shell allowed for those tough conversations to be had and those high expectations to be had and those authentic relationships to be had. Like, so, you know, we would talk about those tough things and we would have those tough conversations. And I think that has allowed us to not only have a high, you know, 100% confidence interval with each other uh, around our love for each other and our uh, allegiance to each other and loyalty for each other and so forth, but it's created an environment with which, if it's true that we're the roots of the tree, the nutrients are passing up through us to the rest of the branches in the tree, you know, in the tree, it's allowed for those to be sort of tainted, so to speak, by our authentic trust with each other, right? So hopefully that's helped to create a tree that's stronger, not just looks good, but it's really rotted out at the core, but it's actually stronger and those nutrients can flow a lot freer. Like that's, that's what the idea is. But I think it's rooted in, to your point in your question, Gary, like obviously that moving around was brutal. Those hard times you went through were, were brutal, but it's like, you know, that blacksmith's you know, <laughs> hammer smashing this, this piece of steel into a sword. It takes a lot of that takes a lot of work, you know what I'm saying? A lot of sanding that thing down and putting it through the fire and stuff to make something that's actually sharp and that, and that will hold its edge to your point, you know? Gio. Uh, yeah, so I, I think two things come to mind, maybe one more personal and mo one more communal. Um, the personal one is, you know, pro it's probably also tied to that moving around. And I think that, you know, something that that constant flux impressed upon me was kind of how dear the things that you have are. Mm -hmm. So the things that you can impact, the relationships that you can hold on to. I think this whole uh, coronavirus and pandemic one and the way that you know a bunch of things have been stripped away in our kind of socialization and the people we can spend time with or just the value of a hug um, has revealed like those things get stripped away and you realize, okay, well, what am I left with? When I get some more back, what am I gonna really care about? It makes you kind of question your values. I think I had a lot of cycles of that as a kid where like, you know, for better or worse, uh, it's maybe a little bit annoying for my wife, but I'm kind of a nostalgic guy. I like saving that, you know, that flyer from my first Little League baseball game, or, you know, I got a box of all this like crap that, you know, that someday I'll go look through or something. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but I'm kind of nostalgic about that. And I think it, it's built into my life um, in appreciation for those relationships. Oh, you're muted. Or those people who I can, um, you know, have an interaction with or make an impact with. Um, and it's re and it, it helped me realize that, like, 
a bunch of stuff's going to come and go. Like we saw this, you know, I'm making new friends every year and you know, you're in second grade and you got your group of two or three friends you play kickball with every day or whatever, you know, I've moved on and never saw those people again. Right. So like there's some stuff that's going to come and go and there's some stuff that you have that you can impact that, you know, is dear to you. Um, and I think for me, I've transferred that into our business and, you know, someone might work for us for six months or six years, but I have a, you know, I have an opportunity to bless them and to be part of their life and to help them not just like make sure that they have a paycheck that can cash, uh, but maybe help them build a career or, you know, uh, grow as a person. So I think the dearness of the things that we do have or that we do have control of or, you know, kind of while our ships are passing in the night um, uh, was, was something that I think came out of that struggle. And I think on a more kind of corporate or uh, communal um, aspect, I think that we saw at a young age kind of what the arc of a career is and how that impacts everyone around it. So, you know, we had the story of my grandfather in Cuba, he built his business and it was taken away. And that's why my dad grew up getting, you know, discriminated against and getting bullied and he was a foreigner and learned the language and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we saw that also on our parents as they were trying to kind of climb out of that socioeconomic status, you know, advance, you know, so that our family could, you know, eat meat once a week or, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, not have the car repoed and stuff. We saw how those dynamics of a thriving workplace could support a thriving family and community and how when someone is just out for themselves and they're just, you know, kind of very Machiavellian, very just like, hey, if I can get away with it, then it's worth it. Um, we saw the fallout of that on, you know, some of the, some of the ways that, that our family, um, you know, were not dealt with, honestly. So, you know, I think that that was a valuable thing as hard as it was for us. Okay. Hey guys, we got to move again because X, Y, Z didn't work out. Um, it helped us realize that like there, there, there are two sides to that, right? There's, we saw the, the impact of it not being done well. And we also saw the dream or the vision of, Hey, if people did this well, then things wouldn't have to be this hard. Like they don't have to be this hard. But when we're all working apart from each other, playing tug of war instead of kind of, uh, you know, pulling the sled uh, toward the goal, um, then there's a lot of wasted energy. And I think that Nick and I were blessed as hard as that was on my parents and our family. We were blessed to see some cycles of that at a young age, because like, how else do you get it? You either like he, you see some cool randomly see some cool YouTube video explaining kind of how things can go bad. You like maybe by some grace of God actually get the message in like a college ethics class. Or you kind of get it by like the te the school of hard knocks where it happens enough and you say, you know what, I'm too old to deal with this or I don't want my legacy to be this and you got to kind of experience it. Well, we were lucky enough to kind of experience it vicariously through our parents and kind of see some of that stuff before we even kind of, you know, were big time professionals uh, because we were 22 years old. Um, but I think that, that that hardship was a blessing for us to see the power of a strong workplace, to see like the goodness in being a good leader, not just to like, Hey, look, the stock price is up. Our EPS is up 2%, but like, Hey, you know what? Someone, someone's kids are having a better life because they worked at our company. And that's a beautiful thing. And it doesn't just have to be illustrated in the tough stories and you know, the, the news headlines of, of bad workplace. Um, I'm fine if it's just hi highlighted and some people have a better life. Uh, we don't even need any credit for it. Yeah. And you learning it the way you did compared to stumbling upon a YouTube video or something like that, that's stuff that's going to stick with you for your entire life. Right. So yep. like you mentioned vehicle being repoed, like I went through a lot of that stuff growing up as well. And those lessons I'm never going to forget. Yeah. Uh, 
but if you stumble upon a YouTube video, you may get motivated for 30 minutes and then two days later, you're going to completely forget about it. So I think yeah. that what you both talked about there really laid the foundation for a lot of what you've been able to do together. Yeah, my, my dad used to always ask, what's a better way to learn, instruction or experience? And a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, I want to experience it because it does stick a lot better. Um, we got to kind of like half experience it, half get the instruction and the guidance from our parents. And when, you know, if you could retain it from a YouTube video, that would be great because then you don't have to go through, you know, the five years of all the pain right. from it. Um, but to your point, Ben, like those experiences stick with you a lot more. They're a lot more visceral. Um, and, you know, it's nice when uh, you can kind of find some good in some of the trouble that you go through. Right. Yeah. Well, well yeah, said. Well said. Did you guys come, if I remember right, you, you moved down here from Chicagoland, right? Yep. Into Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and you're down in Florida right now uh, with the passing of your grandmother. Uh, so again, our condolences, but it sounds like what a wonderful life lived. Was she 93, 96? Yeah, 93. 93. 93. That's, yeah. That's she was in her 94th year. She would, she would always clarify that she's on year 94. <laughs> she just hasn't finished her 94th year yet. <laughs> I love that. She never colored it. I mean, it's such a metaphor for who she was. You know what I'm saying? Like, didn't have any gray just spit fire to the last day. You know what I'm saying? It's just a uh, amazing, amazing life that, that we're celebrating now. That's, she was a great leader in our family. She was a great servant to people around her. Yeah. Um, she really used what she had in her life in the air that she grew up in and the skills that she had to be a blessing to God and a blessing to a lot of people. I'm just so, yeah. so proud to, uh, to uh, uh, just know what a great impact she had on people around her and to be part I of it. I love that. it. Now, you, did you guys move to Charlotte for specifically for the business opportunity? We yeah. Did. yeah we, we were doing our search out of Chicago, and uh, we got so lucky <laughs> that we landed in Charlotte because, as you can imagine, searching for companies for two years, we looked at some places in pretty uh, pretty <laughs> areas. <laughs> and uh, like landing in Charlotte, it's been a freaking blessing for sure. So, I hope we get to keep you in Charlotte for a long time <laughs> because uh, we need more good leaders like you, I think all over in the world, quite frankly. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we launched this whole anything but typical podcast is really uh, Ben's idea. He, he came to me with it and, and I said, man, I really want to do it. And I was on his podcast a couple years ago. Yep. Um, we love highlighting the stories of, people that have been willing to risk it, willing to fail openly, willing to get back up. And um, we all have some of those stories, you know, um, as entrepreneurs and, um, and, and everybody, whether they're an entrepreneur or not, has a unique story. So we don't want to discount that. But I like the fact that leadership always, always, always sets the tone. And you guys have talked about this in your family. The family unit and the leaders in your family, whether it be your grandmother, your grandparents, your parents, and now you guys are passing that legacy and you're accepting the mantle of leadership, which um, is really important. And I think uh, America, as well as the rest of the world, we need more leaders like that, that are willing to serve regardless of what the title yeah. is. Um, and that's why that, quite frankly, that is our why for this podcast of anything but typical, because 
we want that to become more typical, but it is really anything but typical right now. Um, you know, yeah. about how can you serve me? What's in it for me? Right. Well, you guys have flipped that on, on its head, and I was honored to uh, even be part of your employee appreciation day where you actually were serving them and trying to give them tools and value that had nothing to do with work, but it had everything to do with life, you know? So um, yeah. I want to say hats off to you guys. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, you inspire me. Wow. Thank well, you, I Gary. I mean, you've been a huge blessing to us. Um, you've been an inspiration to us in the way that you lead and you express yourself authentically and, you know, you help people find their why. Um, I think like I got, I got so many unsolicited like thank yous and compliments for your sessions um, from our employees of like, wasn't even asking like, how did it go? They were just like, I got to tell you, I loved it. Gary's awesome. He helped me a lot, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I just, I, I love that. Like, that's not just cause you came in and do a session. That's how you bless people all like in all of your interactions, Gary. Um, and Gary and Ben, I just, I really love what you guys are doing with this anything but typical podcast. Like I, I not only hope I'm confident that it will become less atypical because you guys are doing this, you guys are getting those stories out there and you guys are really leading with a heart to help people become better. And, you know, Gary, you said like, it didn't have anything to do with work other than it had to do with the people. And we all know that like, that's the way to get it done. And uh, I think yeah. you guys live that out. And I, I love the work that you do. Well, perfect. We appreciate that. And it's people like you coming on and, and sharing the stories and the experiences that's going to make it happen. Love it. So thank you both. We appreciate it. Thanks for having um, us. Where, before, before we uh, close out, where do you want people to go to find more about either you as individuals or about Compliance Live? Uh, where can we direct people? You know, I would say it's to go to, you know, LinkedIn and find me and find Geo. Uh, obviously, our website, ComplianceLine.com, has some stuff. But, um, you know, everyone in our company is pretty uh, active on LinkedIn. And I think that gives people a glimpse of, you know, the heart of the organization that they're dealing with and the heart of the people that are actually carrying out these services that, you know, we're, we're bringing to the marketplace. Fantastic. We'll, we'll put links for that in the show notes. Cool. Awesome. Thank you guys. guys. Thank you so much. And to our great. audience, um, you know, our biggest fear when we launched this thing was that we would only have a couple people <laughs> listen and we haven't break it, broken any records by uh, attendance records, but we do have a, a pretty nice and growing uh, group of people. So I really appreciate yeah. So anybody out there, please forgive us for uh, audio quality and uh, spectrum that ha has been <laughs> out of my house. <laughs> you got two things to blame it on. You got spectrum and coronavirus. So you're coming out clean. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you guys say, stay safe out there and healthy and have a safe trip back. Again, our condolences to your family. And uh, we tip the hat to your grandmother for a life well lived. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of the week. You too. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. Love it. We'll see you guys. Bye-bye.